Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. This is the Unfiltered Entrepreneur. My name is Ashley Pollard. Here you will find business tips, entrepreneurial advice, and an honest account of mistakes I make along the way. I will also have some friends along for the ride who can add in their own experience, obstacles, and what we can all learn from each other. Entrepreneurship can be a lonely road, but not in my circle. We are all in this together. Okay, so here's the thing. I worked in the fashion industry in corporate in New York City for 10 plus years. And if you've been in my space for a while, you've heard me say that. I've worked at some of the biggest brands in the fashion industry. And what's funny is that there's definitely some brands that were very weird about hiring. Let's call it like the cool girls. One brand I worked for had a rule that fashion girls only go out below 14th Street, which is basically saying like the rest of New York City was trash, which I clearly don't believe. But I always thought it was funny and it stuck with me. So not only am I going to be exposing some of those funny rules and insider secrets and the ways the fashion industry worked, but also some of my debaucherous, wild and crazy stories that I have of my time in the fashion industry. Tune in each week to Below 14th Street, which are my episodes inside of The Unfiltered Entrepreneur, where I'm giving you the inside scoop. Hello, hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Below 14th Street. I'm Ashley Pollard, your host. If you have no idea who I am, maybe this podcast was sent to you by a friend or maybe it stumbled upon a Google search of yours, whatever the case, I want to introduce a little bit about why I'm doing this series. And if you've been in my space for a while, maybe this is a nice refresh. Maybe you'll learn something you've never known. But the reason that I am so excited, I'm not ever going to be able to stop laughing in this series. The reason why I'm so excited to bring this to you is because everything about this podcast is unscripted. I don't really prepare too much for my guest experts interviews because I want us to have an off the cuff conversation. My educational ones, I do definitely follow some sort of generic. I want to make sure I'm talking about these things, but I don't script them at all. My walk-in talks aren't scripted. This is not scripted at all. It's just that through the years of having the Doers membership, I found that there's some stories that I just thought were like run-of-the-mill fashion industry stories that I'm finding are actually like kind of wild and a little bit insane and funny or weird or a testament to how absolutely batshit crazy I am. So. That's what I'm going to be doing here with Below 14th Street, which is so exciting. But before we dive in, I want to give you guys a little bit of an understanding of what I did in the fashion industry, because there are some frequently asked questions that I would like to target before we dive in. First and foremost, you can find my job history like really anywhere. I talked about it ad nauseum, but also it's, you know, I'm pretty sure almost all of it's on LinkedIn. You could definitely see it there. I'm still friends with most of the people that I've worked with through my career. But something to know is that, like, first and foremost, I moved to New York with like $3,000. I didn't have an apartment. We found one in the drive out, my friend and I. And I had an unpaid internship, which I will get into, while I was working in a restaurant. It was savage. It was like such a started from the bottom now we're here situation. And because of a mix of luck 
and networking. And oh my God, like there's so many good stories here. I would say, you know, chance opportunities. I've been able to work at some of the biggest names in the world. I worked at Oscar de la Renta, Prada, Gucci, Sam Edelman, Rebecca Minkoff, Hunter Boots, Kendalyn Kylie, and the, the list goes on. There's so many other places that I've consulted for that I've worked with for an interim time period. But a lot of people don't really know what I did in the fashion industry. So I want to clear that up today. When people find out that I worked at Prada, the first question that I get off everyone's tongues never, ever surprises me is, was it just like the Devil Wears Prada? And I completely can understand why people make that connection, right? It's called the Devil Wears Prada. She's a nightmare. They're fashion girls. They're working in the industry. But I want to make something specifically clear is that I worked in the fashion industry. And the Devil Wears Prada is about working at Vogue, which is the publishing industry. So although I get the connection because they're both fashion environments, people are dolled up, they're wearing the heels, very reminiscent of my experience in the fashion industry as well, totally different. There's definitely overlap, but completely, completely different. So no, it wasn't exactly like working in the Devil Wears Prada because we didn't have any sort of journalistic roles and responsibilities. A lot of what you saw there was the experience of working with Anna Wintour at Vogue magazine. So that's one of the first questions that I always get. The second question is, so what did you do? And this is the part that I love to talk about because I worked in what's called wholesale. Some of you guys may know what wholesale is. Some of you guys may be like, I've never heard that word in my life. Basically, when you work in wholesale, you are selling product. Now, the difference between somebody selling product on the floor at a Saks Fifth Avenue when you walk into the mall and someone's there to greet you, that is a salesperson for sure. But that's what's called a B2C salesperson. So that person is a business selling directly to the consumer, where what I did was B2B sales. So I sold to the department stores. It, it was honestly a fascinating job because basically eight to nine months before a product was put on the floor of a department store, of a boutique, I had to look at a range of, let's say, five to 10,000 items and compile a collection of 100 to 200 items that Nordstrom would like, Dillard's would like, ShopUp would like, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, based on all of this data, buying patterns, consumer behavior, so that they could sell through everything that they bought. So the buyer would come in and say, OK, you have this room of 2,000 items, 5,000 items, whatever it is. We would call them SKUs, but I'm not getting into that today. So they would see all of these items in the room. And it was my job to say, these are the 100 that are going to work for you. I looked at every city that you're in. I looked at all the sales that you've made. How old is that person? What kind of card are they using? What day are they shopping? I would fly to different locations and write a report about the mall or the store itself amalgamating all of this data about buying patterns across the country. And it was my job to predict what you, the listener, were going to be purchasing nine months later. It was so much fun. There's a lot of psychology in that. Tons of Excel spreadsheets, tons of formulas, tons of gathering data and research and making executive decisions on it. And the purchase orders that I was handling, aka the orders that these department stores were placing, were hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. So. In the fashion industry, especially in wholesale, there's different categories that you sell to. You wouldn't sell everything in the world. You'd either work in apparel 
where you'd work in shoes, you could work in bags. Some people worked in specific things where they only worked in denim or they only worked in accessories or they only worked in jewelry, et cetera, et cetera. When I was in the fashion industry, I specifically worked in handbags. However, through my tenure, I also sold jewelry. I sold apparel. I did formal wear, definitely sold shoes, travel. I mean, you name it. I kind of like did everything, but I loved to work specifically in handbags. Another question that I get is, how much did you get paid working in the fashion industry? And what's interesting is that you really don't get paid much, but the perks can sometimes offset that cost. So there were times that I would make $55,000, $65,000 working in the fashion industry in New York City, where it's very hard to live on that salary. But I would get a clothing allowance where I could spend that money on a new winter coat that was like super chic or brand new heel. So I was pretty much like never buying clothes, which was amazing. I was also flown all over the world. I think I'm up to 12 countries that I've been to. I've been to over 50 different cities through the fashion industry, bumped up to first class, which is great, flown around consistently, which I always thought was such a fun perk that I get to see the world on someone else's dime, consistently going to London and Paris. I did a whole South American tour where we went to multiple countries, multiple cities, and I went with the CEO of Hunter Boots, which was fun. So, you know, you do get these perks. You also, at times, depending on the level of your job, I may have gotten an Amex or a corporate card where I could take people to dinner all the time to treat clients and make sure that we're managing those relationships. So there were times when I was not necessarily paid great. Maybe I was paid $75,000, which I do know is like a decent salary. It's just not that easy in New York. But anytime I wanted to go to dinner, it was paid. Anytime I wanted to go shopping, I could get something or anytime I needed new clothes, I should say. So there were definitely some perks that offset that and definitely made it like easier to stay in. The other thing that also made it worth staying in a field that was very aggressive, you know, it's one of those places where you're in the door at 8 a.m., you're staying until 8 or 9 p.m., you're not leaving for lunch ever, and you're completely aware of the fact that if you messed up today, there's a line out the door for your job. That is definitely made very clear to you every single day in the fashion industry, that there's a line out the door. You can be replaced tomorrow. We don't need you if you don't want to be here. You get in as soon as you can. You leave until you absolutely have to go to sleep, basically. It was rigorous. But why would I stay there if I wasn't getting paid well? And sure, the perks sound good, but why would you stay? To me, I was giving up all of this time with my family, all of this time who were back home in St. Louis at the time. And I was giving up time with my friends. It was, you know, it obviously puts a strain on relationships. So for me, if I was going to be sacrificing all of these kind of like standard life moments, then I wanted to be doing it for something really great. And when you're working for really incredible brands, I mean, brands that you had always dreamed of working for, it makes it significantly easier to get through some of the hardship of, I'm not getting paid that much. I think if I maybe wasn't working for brands that I had respected or if I wasn't working for brands that felt like a lot of fun, then it would have been a bit different. The last thing that I want you guys to know, not that it really matters, but just because I feel like I get this question sometimes is like about being paid. And the thing is, is that the higher the price point and the more well-known the brand, the less you're going to make. Because if I said no to a job for $80,000, let's say, because they wanted to pay someone $65,000, they do have a hundred other people that they could call that would beg for that job. So 
the higher the price point and the bigger the name, the less you're going to get paid because they can get away with it. However, the lower the price point, you do typically make more money. So for instance, at Prada, I got paid, you know, next to nothing, but I was also entry level and that is kind of the space. And then when I shifted into more what's called contemporary brands, which I'm going to talk about in just one second, I got paid more money. And then after contemporary, the lowest one would be kind of like mass market. The difference is basically price point. There's other things to consider, but the easiest one to remember is price point. And what I always used to tell people is that the majority of their products are over $1,000. It's probably a luxury company. If the majority of their products are, let's say, $150 to $1,000, it's probably a contemporary brand. And if everything is kind of hovering $150 and below, it's probably a mass market company. A really easy way to think about this is maybe like a Free People, Macy's, Nordstrom would be mass market. Maybe not Nordstrom. They definitely do sell a decent amount of contemporary. Dillard's, you know, those kind of like you see them everywhere kind of brands. American Eagle, those are mass market. Then you go into contemporary, which is, you know, let's say Marc Jacobs, Michael Kors, DVS. And then luxury are the ones that everybody knows, you know, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Prada, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's more nuance there. There's like advanced contemporary where you might see like a Philip Lim or, you know, maybe like actual Marc Jacobs and maybe marked by Marcus Contemporary. But I'm not even getting into that right now. Just know that the, the fashion industry is a very nuanced place. It's also a little bit fucked up, but I loved it. I'm so grateful for my time in the fashion industry. It put me through the ringer, but it taught me how far I can push myself. It taught me how much I can do on my own. It taught me how smart I can be and how resilient I can be. It really forced me to learn how to be diversified in all of my skills because you are managing and circulating a lot of plates. What's interesting in the fashion industry is that I always thought these really massive brands probably have thousands of people working for them. And for some of them, that's true. You know, Michael Kors has hundreds of people working there. Macy's has hundreds of people working there. But for all the brands I worked for, there was like 50 people or less. You know, there was a brand that I worked at where there were three of us. There was another brand I worked at where there was four of us. You know, at Rebecca Minkoff, there was maybe 25, 30 of us that ran the whole entire company. And everybody there is 23, 25, 27, kind of, you know, a young person space because it's rigorous. So what's interesting as a consumer and what you can know about that is that when you're emailing customer service, it's probably a 25-year-old, a 24-year-old. When you are calling because you're curious about your tracking number, it's probably a 25-year-old. There's so many people who think that they're talking to like a 35, 40-year-old person when they would write into me. Not that I worked in customer service. They never did. But they would get a hold of my email somehow. And I was just like, I am not, I am not the person for this question. So that's kind of interesting. Okay, that was a ramble a little bit about the fashion industry. Those are some things I just wanted to know because I do know that I'm going to kind of reference some of those things in the future and that I don't really give you like a proper rundown of what some of these things mean. So that doesn't mean you may not have questions later. If you have any questions, there's a link in the show notes for you to send me a voice question. If you have anything that you want to hear about the fashion industry, any tea, because damn, do I have it. And we're going to dive into it. Can't wait to see you on the next episode of Below 14th Street.
Before we go, there's a couple things I want you to remember on these episodes. I'm obviously all about helpful information and telling stories about my life. And a part of being a human telling her story means that even though I'm trying my best, my memory may not always be serving me perfectly. Some facts in here might end up being inaccurate or changed or incorrect, you know, if I get a date wrong or a specific place where I was at. Just know that I'm doing my best to recall from memory and piecing these stories together from you. There's also some cases where I may have changed a name or something that can refer back to a specific person so that I don't cause controversy with someone or a brand and make sure that everybody is protected. Doesn't change the point of these stories. They're all still my own. And these are all actual experiences from my life. So the stories themselves are not fabricated. They're just maybe some details that maybe I got wrong from memory or maybe that I'm trying to cover up so that everybody who listens feels protected and we can laugh and enjoy ourselves. Thank you for listening.